Welcome to Give Methods a Chance, a podcast where we look at social science methods and practice. In this episode, I talk with David Noak, professor of sociology at the University of Minnesota. We discuss the uses and benefits of network analysis, drawing upon his work on terrorist networks. How do you kind of pitch network analysis, you know, to someone who doesn't know what it is? Well, if you go into a room full, and I've done this, uh, mm-hmm. and I ask them, how many people here are networkers, and they all raise their hand, because they all know about Facebook and LinkedIn and other sites and so So intuitively, everybody's got a sense of the social network. They've seen the movie or, or whatever. They know who Mark Zuckerberg is. Right. So it's not as though you have to sell them on some, some obscure kind of yeah. methodology. What they don't know is how to treat it in a more systematic uh, fashion. So um, when you're working with the students, will they be working to understand sort of what the center of a network is and trying to... That's, centrality is one of the possibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I did in the other chapter, uh, uh, which I'm still working on prior to our, our meeting in uh, May, is to, uh, to do a core periphery analysis. There's mm-hmm. one of the UCI programs. We'll take a set of data and we'll sort into a high-density cluster of folks that interact with each other and then a periphery of actors that are less that are less connected among themselves and probably at a lo- much lower level, usually a much lower level with the core, mm-hmm. sort of elite, non-elite kind of dichotomy. Right. Well, that's that's just one of the typical uh, things that we'll do. So, there, you know, there's, there's egocentric networks, there's uh, complete networks, there's, there's um, uh, network change over time if you get longitudinal data. Um, I don't think the Al-Qaeda ones particularly even though I talk about it as an evolution, it's really a series of discrete uh, activities. It's not the same network each time. It's mm-hmm. a different network that has a few members that carry over yeah. over time. So, anyhow, we've got uh, a lot of uh, different foci uh, focuses. Um, this two mo- this three mode network is something new. I only really got into it, heard about it, thought about it a year ago. Yeah. And That's before cool. that, I'd, the most I'd taught was two mode network. We have a set of people and a set of the classic one is a set of women who went to a series of parties. Okay. Which, which women showed up at which parties? Was a <laughs> clique of women that showed up. This is in the Mississippi uh, Delta back in the 1930s, I believe, 30s okay. or 40s. So anyhow, that was a classic data set that there was two mode. You had a set of folks and a set of events. Uh-huh. All right. So three modes, you just generalize it. So you can have uh, you have these things. You can have a document. Uh, you can have a, a, a set of uh, uh, events that people show up, you can have a set of people. Uh, mm-hmm. The modes can be entirely different. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be all people. Right. And, and so there's a lot of flexibility to draw out social structure, right. even though you might want to have limited information on the, the ties. Sure. No, that's great. You know, if you had to sort of pick two or three of the, the sh- biggest strengths of this method as we're comparing it to the other methods that you'd cover in like an mm-hmm. intro course. Um, what what is unique to this methodology, and what makes it a, a great a good one? Well, what's unique is it's the focus not on the individuals, not on the nodes, but on the relations between the nodes, and so it's relational data, which is which I mentioned that in my undergrad and grad sociology, uh, nobody ever talked about. It. They always talked about the nodes. The people have these characteristics: this race, this gender, this income. Um, they do various sorts of activities. But it's uh, the classic uh, survey format, it just rips the individuals out of their context. You don't see the interconnected as an ongoing system. Network, network analysis is the system analysis method. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, if you want to study uh, collectivities that are interacting, this is a very valuable uh, perspective, not just a tool. Mm-hmm. It's a way of looking at, at things. 
mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, that you don't get in most sociology, which tends to be very much reductionist social psychology. Can you provide us with a brief summary of the project we're talking about today? Okay, the project uh, that I'm going to talk about is called Three Modes of Al-Qaeda. So when you were approaching this, did you start with the method of network analysis or did you start with the topic? Of I think you'd have to say that the, the three-mode uh, method was the one that we started with. It was pretty much focused on uh, it as an example of uh, applying um, this kind of network analysis, which has been around for 30 years but was woefully underutilized until very recently when uh, both computer scientists uh, in particular started uh, uh, making a lot of use of it over the last five years and a few social scientists. So we felt we, need, we needed to um, get our story out on that as soon as possible. And how does um, sort of your framing, your theoretical approach uh, fit in with your methodological approaches? Well, the, the theoretical approach would be um, using network analysis to study political behavior um, and uh, in particular this example is a, uh, um, a violent form of uh, political activity. Uh, everybody knows about Al-Qaeda now, but uh, there's still a lot to be learned. Um, so I was looking at uh, the structure of the operations and how they're interconnected. I was looking to see how much there was interconnection between the set of operations. So let's talk about the data that you used to build these models. Um, how did you decide what the best data choice was, given your questions? Well, I wanted to have three different uh, modes, um, uh, that is, types of entities that were involved in uh, the set of activities. And I, I, I had been reading a book by Seth Jones about Al-Qaeda operations. It's sort of a traditional journalistic account where each chapter represents a different operation. I realized that a lot of the names were showing up chapter after chapter. So I recognized that he at least had a, a sort of a, a proto-network uh, analysis in which he, uh, if you read, read it closely, uh, you could uh, see that there were not isolated o- operations, but there was uh, certain actors present in several of these things, and that made it uh, in a set of interconnected operations. So I decided to formalize uh, this approach instead of taking the narrative historical approach to take a, uh, uh, a network uh, data collection approach, and that meant reading a lot of documents, online documents, uh, over a 20-some year span. Uh, basically uh, found 25 operations between 1992 and 2010 that were in some way against Western targets. This was the, the limitation of many other operations that we don't know about that occur in uh, uh, foreign countries that are aimed at foreign governments or foreign uh, adversaries, and we don't have a good record on that, but the, it's pretty well documented for most of these operations that are against uh, Western targets, and there were 25 of them over this 18-year period. And so at a kind of foundational or basic level, then how do you build this network in a real sense, or how do you kind well, of analyze Well, I'm looking for names. I'm looking for names of three types of actors. I'm looking for the, the organizer is the top, the operator is in the middle level, and then you have the, the crew, which is the folks on the ground, uh, which may also include the, the operator as well. But that's the three levels. It's a hierarchical structure in which you've got these three different uh, types of roles. And so I'm collecting, for each operation, I'm trying to find the names of the folks were involved in these ver- and what role they played in the operation. First of all, it starts off with, with documents, so I'm looking primarily at news reports, occasionally uh, court records, but often uh, if there's trials involved of uh, the survivors, 
then uh, the court record will also be reported in a um, news article. Mm -hmm. and so, and there, there are two or three places, including Wikipedia, where uh, you can find a large number of documents on terrorist operations, not just the Al-Qaeda ones, but, but lots of others as well. So it's a matter of, first of all, identifying these operations and then sorting through the documents to come up with the names and descriptions of what they did. So what went wrong as you were embarking on this project? What, what challenges or barriers did you well, encounter? Well, I, I initially thought there might be some uh, indication of the actual uh, operational activities, who did what, who, who was uh, related to whom, who knew whom and what role. Turns out there wasn't a lot about the crews. We got, in most cases, we got quite a few names, but very little about the activity. Fortunately, the methodology doesn't require that. The methodology only requires that you have connections between the top, the middle, and the bottom. You don't have to have any connections within each of those levels. Mm -hmm. And so that actually worked out quite well because once you had the roles selected, then you could, you could um, do the map. Right. As you're doing this project and you're going through these documents, at what point does the story kind of start to take place? Well, actually, in reading the documents, because you, you have to read a narrative account, uh, I probably uh, have over 200 pages of, of material on these 25 operations, including some that were false leads. And sometimes they're in conflict because one will say this guy was the operator, and uh, another, another source will point to somebody else. And so I was having to figure out, uh, maybe make some inference there as to which person would be assigned the operator role. So there's some some unreliability in, in uh, particular details, but uh, nevertheless. Uh, I was beginning to develop a picture just from the narrative accounts because I could I could see several individuals had been not only operated in several uh, uh, operation involved in several operations but sometimes shifted the roles sometimes they were part of a crew and sometimes they're part of a and, and there's even one or two people that uh, made it all the way up to the the, the core group the planners uh, group so over time you could uh, see that there were connections but the formal connections would come out in the data analysis. In methods class, we talk about generalizability and validity. Yeah. So how do these two constructs fit into your, your design? Well, I think the validity is fairly straightforward because it measures what it's supposed to measure, which is the social structure. That is, what are the lines of authority uh, among a set of actors engaged in uh, violent terrorist activity, in this case against Western targets, which could be in the West, in Western countries, but they could be Western targets in the Middle East, uh, an embassy, for example, that sort of thing. So uh, I think that um, you know the, the only the only uh, caveat is that uh, these people don't call themselves terrorists. Nobody nobody in the history of terrorism has ever called themselves a terrorist. But nevertheless, the, the kinds of activity they were engaged in, which were plots to do, do violence, uh, bombings, assassinations, and others, uh, it pretty much uh, is I think a valid set of data in that sense. Um, the and, and often they are they were publicizing because this is one way the terrorists are. Uh, terrorist organizations are uh, creating fear in people is to, to say we can strike anywhere at any time and and uh, you have no no protection against that whatever you try to do mm -hmm. so they they often admit that they are they're doing uh, this sort of activity generalizability well it's only going to generalize to itself uh, that is this is al-qaeda al-qaeda is unique in the annals of terrorism even the uh, the old-time uh, Anarchists uh, didn't have that uh, quite an extensive uh, uh, an organization. Modern communication and transportation to reach around the world. Whether that applies to other more regional kinds of uh, organizations, I have no idea. Whether the, the non-Western targets of Al Qaeda uh, operated in the same way, I don't have any idea because that record is spotty and incomplete. It's that limits of generalization. 
as you were writing this chapter, what is sort of your core finding, or what is sort of the takeaway that you... Uh, the core finding has is, is been intuited by a number of people who have either had journalistic or policy interest in this, Seth Jones and so on. The data very sharply show that Al-Qaeda started off as a, a fairly centralized organization. They had a core of planners, mainly operating in Afghanistan prior to 9-11. There are 16 of these operations that tie in. Osama bin Laden was involved in, uh, I think, four or five of them, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. A number of these key people's names surfaced in the news. But these were this was a tightly structured uh, process. There was a series of attacks on ships uh, out in the water, in the Mediterranean, the Red Sea, and so forth. And there was one guy who was continually involved. He was known as sort of the naval uh, subcommander of operations. And so you could see a, a series of interconnected plots, actors showing up over and over again. In a series of these, uh, that's what brought them together. There's a lot of learning going on there because uh, there's more than one planner involved. There's one key planner usually, but there's three or four other people that would help plan the operations, do different parts of it, uh, an elaborate division of labor. And so it was a fairly bureaucratic structure with some fluidity to it. People at the very bottom, uh, hardly any of them ever showed up in another plot. Often they, they were killed or captured and, and they were expendable, and that's their role. Right. Uh, there were a handful of people who, like this naval commander, who uh, were operators in a series of operations. After 9-11, things started to go bad. There were another set of six, I think, five or six plots that were organized by uh, one operator who recruited different crews to do different jobs in different, uh, some of them were in England. And then uh, at the very end, it tailed off, the last half dozen were, were completely isolated plots. There was no carryover, there's a new set of folks, different operators and names. You know, uh, Bin Laden and his uh, crew were on the run. And so this, this went from a highly centralized structure to, uh, to one that uh, ended up being a series of uh, one-off decentralized uh, structure. Most of them failed. The times the last one was the attempt to uh, blow up a, a car bomb in the uh, Times Square, New York, and then from that point on, the trail is lost. There's there's been nothing really out of Al, Al Qaeda Central. Yeah, operations switched to a new batch of people in Yemen. Yeah. So this was a this was an evolutionary process, and you could see the response to 9/11 basically was just what what they said uh, in the counterterrorism that they were going to uh, uh, destroy and take down Al Qaeda Central, and they effectively managed to, not immediately, but over a series of plots that fizzled. And so you're actually able to empirically show this. I can this. show this in a series of time, time, almost like a time-lapse photo, because I have all these uh, network maps that uh, have been uh, created out of the data set. Got it. So what is your intended audience um, when you were embarking on this project? Because you certainly, the network analysts will be interested, but definitely people who are interested in politics. So what's your yeah. audience? I've been pitching for... Uh, making it broader than just political networks. The methodology is, is useful and valuable and needs to be more popularized. So I'm, I'm looking to try to broaden the audience to a lot of uh, folks who do network analysis beyond just political networks that would include social networks, economic networks, and so forth. I'll see if they, they're interested in doing that. There'd be an audience of people interested in terrorism and politics, obviously, but also the network methodologist mm -hmm. who, I think this is a crucial time over the next couple of years because I think it's already become apparent to several people that this is this is something that had been neglected and there's some valuable benefits to it. And the, the computer scientists have, have begun applying it quite widely to websites and, and tagging operations. Uh, so there's the there's three modes that they have, the, mm -hmm. the documents, uh, the, the websites, and the people who tag 
like on oh, Facebook, yeah. make comments or whatever, or do movie reviews or something like that, yeah. movie ratings, whatever. So uh, I think there's a potential a broad audience out there, and we want to try to get this in press over the next uh, year, year and a half, mm -hmm. if possible. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. So a couple final questions. First is um, across the field or across you know all social sciences, where do you see network analysis as being a great tool? Or what are the kind of studies that you see in other topical areas where you're like, oh, that's, that's a great example? Well, what's most impressed me, because I've been doing this for close to 40 years, uh, although it was after I got out of graduate school, I even heard about network analysis. Uh, but I got interested enough, so I'm sort of like in the second wave of people that uh, started doing this in sociology. But what's impressed me, and particularly in the last 25 years, is how many diff different disciplines have been picking up network analysis. And you could sort of plot a time series in which certain ones like anthropology and sociology were there at the beginning, actually in the 40s, uh, but the real takeoff period was the 70s. Then you've got a whole series of other uh, uh, disciplines that started coming along afterwards. Uh, political science was really lagging in it, but they've, they've gone to bat on it in the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. uh, they even have an annual conference uh, that they, for, the, for the last six years that they've held. Um, and other, other disciplines, I see the same with the graduate school uh, students who come take the seminar They're from a variety of different places you wouldn't think of, like forestry. Mm -hmm. uh, conservation biology, uh, rhetoric, um, you know, just a whole series of uh, uh, social science related uh, fields. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's, it's a multi, multidisciplinary methodology basically. Sure. That's great. Well, that was really helpful. On behalf of me, Kyle Green, and my co-producer, Sarah Logason, thank you for listening. And remember, please, give methods a chance. <laughs>